Welcome to Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Recovered alcoholic, my name is Steve. A gorilla walks into a bar. He says, a scotch on the rocks, please. The gorilla hands the bartender a 10, and the bartender thinks to himself, this gorilla don't know the prices it drinks. So he gave him 15 cents change. Then the bartender says, you know, we don't get many many gorillas in here. And the gorilla replies, at 8.85 a drink, I can see why. Okay, I'm an alcoholic and my name is Ronnie. Uh, so thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. We're not going to dim the lights, so just close your eyes, and it'll almost be like the lights are dimmed. Um, so let's, let's take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise and will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let's let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? All right, let's start the meditation. <clears throat> Thank you. 
So let's lead in the fog light prayer. Uh, if you don't know it, just follow after me. God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light. So those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. All right, there's a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Courtney to read the Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 Steps is to have one, so it's important to know what one is. Uh, Courtney, Recovered Alcoholic. Uh, Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, They must require an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Oh, how fun. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, emphatically, We wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. 
We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is tech-free meetings to set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. And tonight we have a special guest speaker. Her name is Isabel, and I'm excited to hear what she has to say. And if everybody could give us a warm welcome for Isabel. Hi, family. My name is Isabel. I'm an alcoholic. It's really good to be here. My sobriety date is October 19th, 2000. I love God. I love AA. And I'm really, really, really happy to be sober tonight and to be here with all of you. Um, Let's see. I'm from Philadelphia originally. And I grew up in an alcoholic household. So that's always a fun place to be when you're growing up. It's like singing for your supper. You know, you learn the ways of alcoholism long before you ever, ever, ever come close to picking up that first drink. You learn the ways of an alcoholic long before you ever drink it. So it's interesting. You know, my grandmother was from Ireland. She came right off the boat. She died of cirrhosis of the liver when I was about eight years old. And I often wondered, you know, God, how did grandmom die, mom? She said she drank too much. And when I think about my grandmom, just like, ugh, every time we went there to South Philly, she was sitting in that rocking chair drinking a quart of beer. And it just seemed so sloppy, so, so, so unattractive to me. It was like, oh, grandmom. You know, like, I'm sure you've heard that song, Grandmom Got Run Over by a Reindeer. I mean, I used to look at my grandmom and go, geez, Granny, woo. And she just always smelled like beer. So I was disgusted by alcohol. I did not like alcohol at all, especially growing up at a young age and having that in my mindset, like, ugh, that looks horrible. It just did not look glamorous. And me, I wanted to be Miss America. So that was the worst thing for me, like looking at my grandma in a rocking chair, drinking booze, like it was just, and that Irish brogue, he couldn't understand her. It was like, oh dear. If that's what alcohol makes out of you, I don't want it. But, you know, the funny thing is, is life goes on and you... You go through and, like I said, you know, you learn the ways of the alcoholism long before you ever even pick up the first drink, before I ever even tasted it. But my first real experience came, you know, drink, trouble, drink, trouble, when I was about 12 years old. I went to Catholic school all my life. I'm actually CIA, Catholic Irish alcoholic. And uh, when I was in eighth grade, my my sister had graduated. My brother got kicked out of St. Rosalima, and I wanted OUT out. And I said to my mom, I want to go to, the, I want to, go to a public high school. So she did. She put me in a public high school. And in the 70s, 
you had split sessions, so I didn't really have to be in school till like 1130, 12 o'clock. And before I went to school, my neighbor, we had moved from Philly to New Jersey. My neighbor down the street gave me NyQuil to drink. NyQuil, yeah, cough syrup. I'm sure you're all familiar with NyQuil, right? It's the number one drink of choice. Well, for me on that particular day, it was, but I didn't know how deep I was getting into this NyQuil. And by the time I got to school, I just remember coming to and sitting next to this man whom I did not know at all. And he said, you don't know me. Okay. He said, I'm the principal of the school. I was like, oh my God, the principal? Yes. And you came to school inebriated, young lady inebriated. I did not know what that meant. That's a 50 cent word. Talk to me. You came to school drunk. And I looked over and there was my mother. And it was like coming out of a fog, you know, talk about a fog light, like, ah. Uh. And I remember looking at my mom and those sad, that sad look. I'm sure we all know that sad look from the people we have affected with our disease. And you know, he said, you're suspended for a week. I was 12 years old, eighth grade in high school, pre-high pre school, junior high school. And it was like, whoa, what happened? And I'll tell you what, after that week off from school, when I came back, it was like I was a rock star. It was like I got elevated to this fame of like, can you believe Missy came to school drunk? Well, I don't even remember it. So... But then from that, the race was on. The race was on. Now, that incident did not make me alcoholic just because I went to school drunk and got suspended for a week. Did not make me alcoholic just because I had that blackout. Did not make me an alcoholic. I didn't even know what an alcoholic was, but I was soon to find out. Because what happened as my life unraveled and I got into ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, I, do, I did a lot of things that a lot of us do. I succeeded. I did really, really well in high school. I was in an academic program. I seemed pretty smart. I didn't think I was smart, but I was taking all academic classes. I became class president. I was captain of the varsity cheerleaders for football and basketball. I became a homecoming queen. I became prom queen. These are things I did not run for. I just achieved. People voted for me for, without me even knowing, without me even having to be present. So I basically ran that school. The other thing that I did is I never went to school. I barely went. I remember my homeroom teacher coming up to me one day again, you know, you have missed more days in this school than any person on record. And I was still passing. And I was still getting through with flying colors. And I was still going down the shore, Atlantic City, 12 o'clock midnight. I was dressed as a candy striper with a pinafore and a little thing on my head, giving out drinks to the patients at 9 p.m. And by 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, I was going down the shore. I was going to Atlantic City. I couldn't wait to get to it. I couldn't wait to get to the Shea Parade and party all night. And that's what it felt like to me. Party all night, party all night, party all night. I became a party girl. And, you know, I started somewhere around that time, I started to get this feeling in my stomach. 
it was like, I didn't like what was happening. I did not like the blackouts. I did not like my friends having to tell me what I did the night before. I started to question that, like, what was going on? What, what happened? Do you remember? And they'd say, oh, yeah, girl, we remember. We remember what you did. And I was like, well, what about what you did? And it got to be that pissing match that we play with people. And it just didn't feel good. You know, it felt like something was going wrong in my life, but I couldn't figure out what that was. And finally, I decided it was time for college. I was going to go to a Catholic college in Dodge City, Kansas. So it was like, whoo, talk about a geographical change going from New Jersey to Dodge City, Kansas was like, whoa. And as soon as I got there, I met people just like myself, just like we meet all the time. You know how we like to meet people who like to drink and people who like to part. And you're just like me. I love you. You know, it's like, you are my newbies friend. I love it. And then immediately I got pregnant. So it's like drink, problem, drink, pregnant, drink, problem, drink, pregnant. And I got pregnant. And I was a freshman at this Catholic college, and I didn't know what to do. And, you know, I'm really blessed that I have a faith in God. I might have been separated from God, but I had a faith in God. And I went to God, and my first thought was I really wanted to have an abortion because I knew I could not raise a child. I was just not fit to be a parent. And I wondered, you know, what I should do. And thank God I had a mentor in my life, a woman who said to me, you know, Missy, my nickname was Missy for years. Why don't you give your child up for adoption? And I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that. Well, in the meanwhile, four other freshman girls got pregnant. So we had a little team, the pregnancy team. And uh, so, you know, I decided that after thinking about it and thinking on it, that I would give my child up for adoption. And that became a defining mark in my life, giving that child up for adoption when I turned 19 years old. I felt good about my decision. I felt comfortable in my decision. I had no regrets in my decision. But as soon as I had that baby, I went right back to drinking. I never drank while I was, while I was pregnant. And that was God's grace. But man, as soon as that baby was born, I couldn't wait to get back out there. I finished up college, moved back to Philadelphia, worked in Philly. And it seemed like I started to get that feeling again of real uncomfortableness. And I didn't like what was happening at all. I started to work in the casino. I come from the casino industry. I worked at resorts for Merv Griffin. It was the first casino in Atlantic City. And I I immediately got married. So you don't feel good, get married. That'll really do the trick, trust me. And so after I got married, it seemed like, whoa, what is going on here? My life seemed to be like, shh, And my husband worked in the Bahamas. So he was gone all week. That's all you need. It's your husband to be gone all week. Monday through Friday, it was like, here I go, people. And 
I'd like to think in my own mind that I never did anything wrong. <laughs> in my own mind, that's how I think. And that's a delusional mind. And that's why I say I have a mind that lies, a dis-ease that wants to kill me. I'm real clear on that. Because left to my own devices, I don't do anything right. I don't get it right. I think wrong by nature. Unless I'm being spirit-led, God-led, and God-fed. Because other than that, I will continually mess it up. But after that marriage and being in that marriage, one of the best things that ever happened was drinking that last drink. And I'll never forget that. I will never, ever forget that. Um, my husband at the time wanted to take me to, one of his friends was turning 40. We went to the party and he told me not to drink too much. That's like the worst thing you can say to an alcoholic. Oh, don't drink too much. Make sure you're roll call. Please act like a lady tonight. What? What are you saying? You don't think I act like a lady? I'll show you a lady. You want to see what lady looks like? And, you know, remember going to this party. It was a nice outside summer pool party at the Jersey Shore. I got there. I thought I was doing really good. And I remember saying, I'll just have a water. And then I'll have a beer. And then I'll have another water. And then I'll have another beer. And I was really trying to control my drinking. And I'm sure you've heard that if you're trying to control your drinking, you got a problem. If you're, <laughs> however it goes, it's like, ah. And I kept doing that until the next thing I knew, I was on the floor wrestling with this man <laughs> and his wife. Okay. I was like, whoa. And the lady throwing the party came down the steps and she was. She was pissed off. <laughs> pissed off. She looked at me and she goes, you slut. I was like, whoa. Have you ever gone sober immediately? Like, whoa. You don't get to talk to me like that. Only my husband does. <laughs> okay. Like, you don't get to talk to me like that, lady. And I remember storming out of there. I was, whoa. And... The next day, I called my husband's friend, uh, Sean. I said, Sean, I, I think I need help. I, 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 I need help. I knew he went to AA. He had a lady named Millie come pick me up. Millie went to a group called Casino Serenity. Or a bunch of casinos. I told you. I come from, my background's casino people. And uh, I went to that group. And I knew this is really going to be hard. Because I got to go home to a bar. There's a bar in my house, and I got to go home to a husband that comes home every Friday night from the Bahamas, and what do we do? We go straight to the bar, and, you know, they were like, you can't drink under any and all circumstances. You better make sure, and I was like, oh, God, please help me, and, you know, wouldn't you know, God, God places us in funny situations. God does really for us what we're incapable of doing for ourselves. You know, the first night I went to the bar... I seen a guy from the meeting. The bartender, Rich, just joined AA too. I was like, Rich, oh my God. So he and I, he would give me the diet root beer and thank God you could still smoke in the bar at the time. But then I joined another group, the Stagecoach Rage Coach Shootout Group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Memora, New Jersey. <laughs> and let me tell you, those people did not take any of my missy shit. None of it. They were like, we don't drink under any and all circumstances. You got that? And I was like, no, I don't got that. 
I know I'm going to Italy. I don't know what's going to happen. And they were like, you got to remember God could and what if he were soft? I was like, mm. I got on that plane and I should have known as soon as I got on that plane with my husband. He was like, drink the Listerine. The Listerine? First I'm on NyQuil. Now I'm on Listerine. I'm like, what? what's with this? And by the time we got there, we had a private audience with Pope John Paul II. I got a picture of it. Getting blessed by the Pope. My husband and I both getting blessed by the Pope. Within an hour, I was so drunk. I... You know, it was like, whoa, what's going on here? And I remember feeling like we were going down to this hellhole, places people like us end up. And I'm sure that many of you have ended up in places like that. Maybe not all of you, but a lot of us have. And I always hated that feeling of being drugged into these places that I didn't want to be. I had no business being. And I had that feeling, even drunk. Like, And I remember hearing at Stagecoach from Yow to Jow. And here I was on, uh, you know, from park bench to park place. I was on a park bench throwing up. And all I wanted to do was go home. All I wanted to do was go home. Please, God, take me home. And I remembered, I had a thought. Years prior to that, I had been at Wawa. You know where Wawa is now? Well, we got them on every street corner in Jersey. Wawa rules where I live in Philly and in Jersey. And I remember going into Wawa at like 9 o'clock in the morning. And this guy, Tom Sharkey, came up to me. And at that time, you could smoke everywhere. You could smoke in the mall. You could smoke at Wawa. You could smoke in 7-Eleven, McDonald's. You could smoke. And I smoked. Boy, did I smoke. I smoked and I drank. And I remember Tom Sharkey walking into the Wawa. And I had a really bad hangover. And it was like, whew, man, I did not want to talk to this guy. And he came up to me. He goes, you know what? He goes, I'm going to tell you something. I was like, oh, God, what? He goes, all you have to do say three words. I was like, really? He goes, God help me. That's all you got to say is God help me. And I said, you. (laughs) He was like, oh, I did not want to hear God help me. And you know, they say when the teacher's ready, the student will appear. Well, the student wasn't ready then. But you know, that time in Italy, then I remembered what Tom Sharkey said to me. You know, Missy, all you have to say is, God, help me. I said, God, help me. I needed help really bad in that moment. I wanted to die. And I remember feeling like I wanted to die. I knew it was over. And then I had to come back to New Jersey and, of course, tell my sponsor, because I did have a sponsor. I did do the 90 and 90. I did all that stuff. And she said, do you want to stay sober? I said, yes, I do. I want to stay sober. But I don't want to go back to the stagecoach group and tell them I had a relapse. So I said, don't beat the crap out of me. She said, all right, well, you know what? When you're ready, you'll, you'll tell them. I was like, all right. So about a week went by, and I was going to stagecoach, ridgecoach, shootout group. And one night, this guy, Russian John, comes up to me, and he goes, hey, Missy. How was Italy? How was Italy? I go, it's high. He goes, well, at least you didn't drink. <laughs> and for the first time in my life, for the first time in my life, I was honest. I said, yeah, I, I did drink, John. And he goes, well, you're in the right spot. You keep coming back. 
Now, by this time, the whole group found out. Because you know how we are in AA, right? You know, we're not a quiet bunch. We're not a glum lot. We like to chat it up. We like to say, oh, my God, did you know? And they already knew. But the next day when I showed up at the Rage Coach shootout group, oh, my God, Virgil came up to me and he goes, hey, you picked up that first fatal drink? I said, I know, Virg, I know. I was so like, oh, please. He said, where was God? I said, I don't know where God was. The Pope was there, though. And he was like, oh, yeah? He didn't keep you sober, though, did he, Missy? He didn't keep you sober. I said, no. He said, you remember what we taught you? God could and would if he were sought. Who'd you seek? I said, I, I don't know. What do you mean? Who did I seek? He said, you know who you sought? You sought your husband. You sought Jim. You didn't see God. You sought Jim and you got drunk. We don't drink under any and all circumstances. You forgot the golden rules in AA. And I was like, oh my God. And you know, at that time, I realized I had to do something different. I had to do something different. It was time for me to really take hold, take stock, invest in what I was going to become as a sober woman. I always wanted to drink like a lady. And my mind and the delusional mind, that's all I ever really wanted was, God, can't somebody just teach me how to drink properly to, so that I don't black out, so that I don't get in fights with people, so that I don't wound up in these crazy places? Can I learn that? And then I realized as a sober woman that I could get dignity and grace in my life. God's grace. That if I did the work, and what was the work? The work was learning how to, the work was in the big book. And it was like, whoa, how am I going to do that? And, you know, listen, where I was from, they weren't walking through the big book. They weren't saying, hey, we got a big book study tonight. My sponsor was like, go to a big book meeting. Go to a 12 and 12 meeting on Tuesdays and Thursdays at Casino Serenity. You know Casino Serenity. So I went. I listened. And then a guy named Murph came along. Joe Murphy. Joe Murphy's an ex-Philly cop. He moved down the shore. And he started taking people through that book. He was serious. He was like, I want to I chop, chop. Come on, let's go. You want to do it? I said, yeah, sure. I brought me and my cronies, a bunch of girls. We went over to... We went over to Joe Murphy's house. We did one, two, and three. We were like on it. We did the prayer. God, I offer myself to build with me, to do with me as thou will, blah, 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 blah. He said, now let's see who comes back. Go home and write your fourth step. Let's see who comes back. He said, I bet only one of you comes back. I showed back up. I showed back up eight o'clock that night with my work in hand. I showed back up. I did all those steps. I sat down with Murph all night long. I didn't leave till 6 o'clock in the morning. And then I caught a plane to Fort Lauderdale. And at that point, I was in the Victor E group. And I raised my hand. I said, I'll do step work. Who wants to do step work? Anita came. She, I'll do step work with you. We went to Barnes & Noble. Not Barnes & Noble's Borders Bookstore on Sunrise. Outside, we sat outside. We start, I started taking her through the steps. And then people started catching on. Hey, you want to do step work? I said, yeah, I'll do step work. Let's go to Borders. We went to Borders. The next time I went, I had like 10 women with me. I did step work with them. One, two, three, chop, chop, chop. And after we got done saying that prayer, Neil and all of us saying that prayer, God, I offer myself to, to do with thee, to build with me. Da, la, 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 la. There was a plane flying over her head. And what, I know you know this girl. She comes here. Um, she just 
she's a, she's a wild AA girl. She goes, Mia. She goes, Isabel, look. The plane had written, trust God. I was like, whoa, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. Those are just some of the miracles. You know, and I just, I just kept staying the course. I just kept staying the course. And, you know, the whole time, my husband wanted to divorce me. He wanted to divorce me because he said, uh, I lied to him. He said that I was, uh, <laughs> I wasn't the person that I portrayed myself to be, that he could sue me for misrepresentation. Okay. <laughs> Basically, you know, and he could have really, you know, if you think about it, cause he married a girl that partied all the time that liked to fly to the Bahamas like that, that liked to put in on bikini and go and drink a couple six packs with him and party all night, go wherever he wanted. So I misrepresented who I was because once I got sober, that changed. I didn't want to live like that anymore. I didn't want to be that girl anymore. I wanted to be a lady with dignity and grace. And so thank God for people. Thank God for sponsorship. Thank God for Murph asking me to go through the steps. Thank God for the Joe and Charlie big book work thing. I came here for that. I flew in for the weekend for that. Thank God for uh, Bob Darrell and whoever it was that he was with from Tennessee. That guy, I started going to a lot of big book stuff. I wanted to learn as much as I could. I wanted to be able to live with dignity and grace. I wanted to feel comfortable in my own skin. I didn't want to have that feeling in my stomach anymore that I hate myself. Something's wrong. Something's not right. But I was living in a marriage that was not healthy, not whole, not complete. In fact, I lived right across the street. I found that group, Easier, Softer Way, 8, eight o'clock in the morning. It was a gift from God. It was a gift from God to be able to climb out of bed and go to that meeting and get my head screwed on straight. Um, a couple of years ago, my mother started suffering from dementia. So it changed everything in my family dynamic. I come from a family of 12. There's 12 of us all together. Yeah, I said 12. <laughs> so it's a big, big family. And... You know, when my mom started suffering from the dementia, it was like, whoa, what's going on, mom? You know, and, and you don't want to believe things. We don't want to believe things. And they're right in front of us. And we don't want to believe them, even when we're alcoholic. It's like, prove it to me. Prove it to me. I want to take the test. And, you know, do you ever take that AA test? That alcoholic, are you an alcoholic test? You know, you have to answer like 15 questions. And you get every one shot score, bing, bing, bing. And they go, how'd you do it? They go, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. You just flunk the test completely and totally, and you're fine. You know what fine means, right? <laughs> you know what fine means. So here I am looking at my mother thinking, wow, you know, my marriage is deteriorating. My mother is not well. Um, my daughter's about to be married. Um, going through this separation. And, you know, it's funny it's funny when we live in God's world because I feel like I always get this feeling like something is being taken away from me. And I hate that feeling like, oh, now I can't smoke because I was a big smoker. So I got sober and now it was like I had to give up cigarettes. I wanted to do that for my own health, but yet I felt like God was taking away something from me. God, why are you doing that? I wanted to smoke until I dropped dead. And then I realized, no, I don't want to drop dead. I want to be healthy. I don't want to smoke anymore. I want to live a healthy life. So it's like, whoa, 
uh, it feels like every time God is taking something away from me, he fills me up. He fills my soul up. I believe that this is a program that is filled completely and totally, if you pay attention, to good orderly direction. If you have the gift of desperation to believe in a group of drunks and invest and put your trust into the group that will show you the way. And the way really is admitting. So when I came to AA and I said, hey, family, my name is Isabel. I'm an alcoholic. That's fine. And that's dandy. But until I really concede to my innermost self 100% that I am an alcoholic that cannot drink under any and all circumstances, that I fully surrender, I throw in that towel like a fighter in the, in the, in the ring, right? I throw in the towel and I'm done. And they're going 10, 9, 8, 7. And now I really admit that I am powerless over alcohol. Nothing's going to happen. And yet somehow... The guy that's laying on there, he wobbles up. And it's like coming to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. So, which is implying right there that I must have been out of my mind, right? Anybody that wants to kill themselves is not in the right frame of mind. I was not in my right frame of mind. I was not in my right frame of mind when I was wrestling with John Legend and his wife on the floor. Like, hello, who was I? Who do I think I am? Insane. And I can be restored to have clarity, to have an open mind, to have that hope, to have that faith if I can get there. But if I do that step one fully and thoroughly, I can get there. I found out real quick. I can, my eyes have been opened. I do have a new pair of glasses. And then when I make that decision to turn my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions over to the care of God as I understand or misunderstand God. Whoa, now I'm showing a little willingness and willingness means a lot. I want to be honest. I want to be open-minded and I want to be willing to do God's work. And what's that look like? That's hard. People say it's simple, but not easy, right? I think it says that in the big book. Simple, but not easy. Not easy in our case means hard work. You know, you hear that saying, keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. It works if you work it. You got to work. And, and I love that. Because anything worth doing in life, I found out, is work. Anything. Any relationship I have is work. Good work. You know, and I really do believe that God rewards us when we keep that one, two, and three, that honest, open, and willing. But then it takes the courage to move on, to make a searching and put it in black and white. You know, here it is. The good, the bad, the ugly, right? Harm's done. What can I do? Who am I? Oh, wow. Here I am. Here I am. I finally took the courage to write it down. It takes balls, brass balls to do that. Just telling you like it is, people. It's no joke when you write that down. I mean, it's really looking, searching, seeking. I'm a searcher and a seeker. I want to know God. I believe that God does appear to us in human form. Speaks loud and clear. Crystal clear when our ears are open. So you, it, it takes a lot to do that courageous act of searching and fearless moral inventory. 
And then to admit to God ourselves and another human. You know what? All right. I'll, 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 I'll admit it to you, God. I can do that. No problem. I'll hit my knees. I'll beg for mercy. But for another human being, I don't know. But, you know, if I really want to do this and I really want to accept what's all in black and white about who I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I have to do that. That's universal. That's a confession. That's a universal principle that's been around long before Bill W. was ever even thought of. That is a universal principle for people to confess who they are and what they've done wrong. And when we do that, and we really, really, really admit who we are, and we make that, you know, we, we're humbly asking God, you know, please, please, God, please help me with this, with humility. And I believe humility is one of our greatest assets if we can do that because we're running off ego. Ego is that, you know, am I ego-fed or spirit-fed? Who am I? I want to be spirit-fed. I want to be God-led, God-fed. And that's through living a God-centered life. Because when I'm ego-fed, it's, it's, it's like making a left turn when you should have turned right. So when I have the humility to be right-sized, and I really do believe that humility for me is the ability to ask God and others for help. Can you help me? I need a hand. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to fix it. Help me. I need a little help. Just like Tom Sharkey said to me, God, help me. God, help me. So I can help you. So when I have the humility, the ability to ask God and others for help, then I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm able to make a list. I'm able to really lovingly make a list. And that's, whoo, that's with people I don't really like. They're all my, they made my list. They made that resentment list, remember? Who, what, where, when, and why list? Remember in the big book, all the lines and the people? Who, what, that's that list. Whoa, no, I don't like you. Nope, don't like you either. Nope, I really don't like you. It's like, man, I thought I only had three people on my list. There was like a hundred. I was like, where did you people come from all my life? Because when you start looking back at the grievances... It's like, whoa, every employer and what was my part in that? You know, so now I have this list in black and white. Can I really lovingly be there and then have forgiveness for everyone and everything up to and including myself? You got to remember, people, I'm just a variety, garden variety drunk. I'm another bozo on the bus and I'm actually starting to do this stuff. To look at it so that it means something and then continuing, continuing on to persevere, to pull my bootstraps up and say, okay, one more day. Okay. Okay, God, one more minute. Okay, God, I think I can do it. Another 15. All right. All right. All right. Because that's what they kept telling me. You got to keep coming back. You better beg God, Missy, to stay sober because we got bets on you. You're going to go back. It was like, whoa, why would you say that? So it was like, I got to continue on because if not, I'm done. I'm going down. I don't want to let up. I do not want to let up. 
and sought through prayer and meditation. I remember at Stagecoach, they were real clear on this. We seek through prayer and meditation, not pills and medication. And it was like, who are these people? Who are these people? I mean, and they were real clear about that, not through pills and medication. And it was like, oh my God, but prayer and meditation. And I found out I love praying to God. I loved praying to God since I had that little baby boy that I gave up for adoption. I loved praying to God. I loved asking God to help me. Please, God. Please, God. Please, God. And then, you know, once we have that spiritual awakening to go out and do God's work in every way, every way, every day, I can do better and better. Just sometimes by smiling at somebody, just by being kind. Those little principles go a long way for people who are down and out, lost and lonely. And, you know, people like us know what that feeling is like. Even in sobriety, even in sobriety, it's not just always when we're drunk. We have moments sober, too. We're human people. We're human people having this experience together. And I love that when we band together, unite, commune, In God's glory, in God's grace, we have everything. We have everything when we stay where we need to stay, when we are where we need to be, and when we are just who we are. And people like to ask that. Who are you? Who are you? I say, I'm an alcoholic, right? So what does that mean? If I say, I'm an alcoholic, does that mean I'm a piece of right? Is that what that means? Does that mean I'm going to pull out a bottle from my pocket and go, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a recovered alcoholic people. I'm a recovered alcoholic because I do as it says and what it means and what it implies as it is outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that came from the good book. So I'm, I'm just doing as it says, to the best of my ability, my level best. Some people may not like it. Some people do. It doesn't really matter who. There's one thing I really, really love about the big book. When Bill Wilson gets to that part where, you know, he's in New York and he's taking every drunk off the street that he possibly can. And he's got his wife making all this coffee. She was really the backbone She was really the one in there over the stove, making it probably a big pot of slop soup, something, sloppy joes to give these drunks. These guys are coming in off the street. We see guys on the street right here in this nice neighborhood, right? You see them on the street. They're hiding out over there. Trust me. I know this neighbor. I lived in this neighborhood. We're everywhere. And so, you know, here's Lois Wilson doing all this work. And Bill gathering him up and trying to get him. And he's so down and out. After like six months, he's like, Lois, this is, this is just not working. This isn't working at all. These people aren't getting it. Not one of them. Not one of them stayed sober. He's like, whoa, he was ready to give up. You know that feeling when we want to give up? It's like, I can't do this anymore. That feeling? And his wife was like, you know, Bill, you're right. You're absolutely right. But you haven't drank. 
That's the one big difference. You haven't drank. And then off he was to the races. His life began. It was like God starts orchestrating all these things for us. It wasn't just Dr. Bob. It was Henrietta Seberleg. It was Reverend Schumacher. It was all these other people that came into play because of all that prayer, all that Oxford group stuff, praying and holding hands and asking God, please help, please help, please help. These alcoholics, these sick and dying lost human beings need help. And man, you know, you would have thought that God would have brought out the Harvard people, right? The people who know it all, the big leagues, the people from Yale, the smarter than people. And he didn't do that. He brought a group of drunks together to do it, to serve. And I'm glad to be on that team. I'm glad to be here. Because, you know, my story is really no different than yours. I just want to do the work. I am passionate, passionate, passionate about helping the sick and suffering alcoholic everywhere I go, everywhere I roam. And I roam the world. I roam the world. I travel all over meeting people just like us. Some of those people don't even speak the same language as me, but they all speak the language of the heart. And that's the most amazing gift from God. Thank you. All right, let's thank the speaker one more time. All right, I'm going to have Megan come up and do the secretary's report now. Um, Hi, uh, my name is Megan, and I'm uh, your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, of which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I've asked Katie to read uh, the recovered statement. Uh, we read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as uh, recovered rather than uh, recovering. Um, and ex- and uh, what exactly it means to be a recovered alcoholic. Katie, alcoholic. We are not cured of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That, rep- that presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Katie. 1940s-style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and, and uh, really tried, 50% got sober at once and uh, remained that way. 25% sobered up after some uh, relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Could I please have a show of hands of, of, of recovered alcoholics? And anyone needing a sponsor to please raise your hand. All right, so let's get these 
people back to God. Um, so we have this week coming up, the Spring Fling, Chili Cook-Off and Dinner. It is Saturday, March 7th. Um, dinner starts at 5.30, karaoke 5.30 to 7.45, and a speaker at 8. Tickets are $8 in advance and $10 the night of the event. It's going to be a really fun time, great fellowship. Hope everybody can make it. Please join us Monday nights for the Big Book Study Meeting, where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowship is at 6.30, and Big Book starts at 7.15. We have CDs, mugs, large print Big Books, the Little Red Book, and Big Book Dictionaries for sale. Those can be paid for, um, and also the, the contribution can be paid with Venmo, Zelle, other forms of electronic payment. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you all next week. All right. So we have tonight's session and all of their past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org to make an announcement to all of our internet friends that there has been some delays in putting up the... Uh, podcast due to Mike Chase's house burning down. So, um, you know, th- and, you know, if we could just continue to keep him in our prayers and um, thanks for being patient with us. Um, I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And to those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Uh, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
leaves are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time outside my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.